book before we move into some <clears throat> new territory. And uh, in your bulletin this morning, there's uh, some announcement about where we're going. We're going to be looking at, and I think all of us in our lives ought to have a goal of making a difference with somebody, uh, making a difference in someone's life. How do we do that? And for 13 Sundays, we'll be looking at making a difference in different ways. Uh, we'll talk about our testimony, our service, a number of different ways that we can, we can make a difference uh, in, in people's lives. Uh, today, in the morning service, uh, we're going to be <clears throat> looking at Jeremiah chapter 32 and 33. If I say Jeremiah chapter 33, most of us think of verse number 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee what? Great and mighty things. We're going to talk about a great and mighty God this morning. And then we're going to go back and look at uh, some of the significance around what is happening when God says that uh, to Jeremiah. Tonight we are scheduled to hit the last five of the things that we began last Sunday evening looking at joy killers. And uh, we did the first five last week. We're supposed to do the next five tonight, but I have a feeling we're going to do the next one tonight. Uh, I think we're going to get number six, and uh, according to what the Lord does uh, throughout the day today and uh, how He directs tonight and what time He allows us to use, I think we'll be on number six for most of the evening service tonight. But uh, join us, if you would, uh, please, with that. I want to encourage you to invite people into the Sunday school class with you as we start the study on making a difference. We'll have a book for them. They can come study along with us and help build uh, Christ's church. We're in John chapter 17. We'll read text verses as we go along this morning. In uh, the year 1790, the patent office for the United States opened. And the first patent that was ever issued in the United States was signed by George Washington. And uh, through the years, people have put patents on a number of good things. Andrew Chemist and I talk often. Uh, I ask him what he wants to do when he grows up, and he says, I want to be an inventor. And so usually our conversations on Sunday begin with, have you invented anything this week? And he brings me pictures of what he's invented. And uh, last week he told me he is working on uh, uh, creating energy that uh, is not, does not have an opposite effect on the environment. I looked at Brad and said, you've raised a tree hugger here. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he tells me, about, and he's inventing, he, he drew a picture of a truck slash minivan that he wants to, uh, he wants to invent. And he has different thoughts for the seats and all kinds of different things. You know, there's a lot of things that have been invented that I wonder what. For instance, someone actually carries the patent on the ATM machine. How many of you use the ATM machine? Okay, number, how many of you use the drive-through ATM? Okay, have you ever noticed that there's Braille on the drive-through ATM? Yeah. Those that are laughing are thinking the same way I did. But do you know someone actually holds the patent on the Braille at the drive through ATM? That sounds like a, a senseless thing. I saw this week some uh, new patents. I, was, I thought, I wonder what people are patenting new. A bedroom door that converts into a ping pong table. 
honest to goodness. And the door has two sides, and you reach up and pull a lever, and this side falls down, and this side falls down. You can be in two separate rooms, and you play ping pong through the door frame. Would you use it? Well, somebody got a patent on it. You can go through. I saw last night on the news they were talking about a cat that had been shot and a lady that helps uh, recover you know, animals that, or she refuges cover, uh, animals that have been injured. And it showed this cat, and the cat's back legs don't work now, may or may never come back again. But they took you outside in her yard where she had other animals that she was rescuing. And there was a dog that couldn't use its back legs. And someone has a patent on this, I'm sure. The dog had a wheelchair underneath, and it propped his back legs up. And from his front legs, he was running all over the yard. Now, what are these things that have patents? What do they all have in common? Somebody, and I'd like to invent one thing in my life. I see things and I think, why didn't I think of that? All of them are this. Somebody sees the need for something. There is a need, and they go to work trying to figure out how to supply an answer for the need. Well, what we're looking at today from John chapter 17, and the journey that we're looking at today is the journey to the cross, is literally this. God saw the need. And in seeing the need, He is determined that He is going to supply the need. Now let me ask you this, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Because God is all-knowing. He knows all. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He is not startled by events. As we look at this book, John, in chapter 17, we see one of the greatest prayers recorded Anywhere in the scripture, uh, Jesus says this, the hour has come. Now I want you to stop and think of the weight of that phrase, the hour has come. Multiple times in the scriptures and talking with the disciples, he has said this, mine hour has not yet come. But God saw the need, and we're going to study it this morning, in eternity past. For man to be redeemed. And everything in history of man and history of this created world, everything has led up to this one moment of time when Jesus said the hour has come. From before the creation of the world till this exact moment. Now notice if you would, they're coming to the Valley of Kidron, and I want you to find first that this is a planned journey. The crucifixion and its surrounding events, everything that happened around this, were planned and prepared by God before time ever began. We see this first. It is a personal journey. Now let's read together John chapter 17. Let's begin in verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Now here's what he's asking. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. Glorify me so I can turn around and glorify you. Verse 2. 
as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, I want you to notice as we're reading through those verses that Jesus acknowledges the plan that God had set in place when he saw the need. These words spake Jesus. And what did he do? He lifted up his eyes to heaven. And the statement, the hour is come. The journey was a planned before the world was known. Before the world was is mentioned here in the scripture. John chapter 17 and verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Before this was ever created and before uh, time ever passed and before I was ever sent and before the virgin birth of Christ, before all of these things happened, before the world was. It's signifying here to us that Jesus is the eternal God. Before, God, before Jesus came into existence, before time uh, came into existence, Jesus was. John chapter 1, if we would read verse, reading verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word. That sort of matches Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. But here in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your Father, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. All of that to get us to understand and see this morning, this is a personal journey that God saw a need, and before He ever reached down and created anything, He provided for the need that He knew was going to exist. This is a personal journey. But the second thing I want us to see, it is a purposeful journey. The journey to the cross had basic two primary purposes. The first was to give us eternal life. That was the greatest purpose of the cross. He gave his life for our eternal life. First John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and have given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. Then we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So purpose one of the journey that, is, uh, that we're looking at, purpose one was to bring eternal life. Purpose two is this, to glorify God. To give us eternal life and then to glorify God. Verse number four of our text in John 17. I have glorified thee on earth. In other words, everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, he pointed to the heavenly Father. Now, you remember what John did, John the disciple, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. John's job was to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. That was his purpose. He was to prepare people for the coming of Christ. 
Christ's purpose then was to point to the heavenly Father. So two purposes. One, to give eternal life. Two, to glorify God. And he says, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished. And the hour that he's talking about, of course, we know that uh, the mission will be finished after the death, burial, and resurrection. And he said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And then we see a second reference to glorifying the Father. In John chapter 12 and verse number 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, all of His earthly ministry, the Son of Man, Jesus, had not been glorified. Not among men. He was glorified at one time when the Father at His baptism said, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was a moment of being glorified, but in the eyes of mankind, he was never glorified in his earthly ministry. So in chapter 12, verse 23 is the second reference to glory. Now, Jesus linked two things, glorification to the crucifixion. He linked the glorification to the crucifixion. God was glorified through Jesus' personal journey, and Jesus allowed God to accomplish his eternal purpose through him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse number 20, I shared this with two people this week. But for we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Now you help me with this. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Let me give you an illustration. Ricky Davis, a former student at Atlantic, friends of ours working now. They were our missionaries for a while, working now for the last 10 or 12 years, maybe more than that, as time passes so quickly with Brother Shiflett and Elkins, and they've done a tremendous job with the children's ministries there. Just a little over a year ago was diagnosed with cancer, and they said it's a hard cancer to fight. She's gone through heavy chemotherapy and radiation and all of those things. And they had it somewhat under control. We know that recently she's had a relapse of it, and they're treating her for it. And uh, she is using this painful part of the journey of life to be a blessing to a tremendous number of people. She made a statement this week as we follow the things that she writes, and she stated this. She said, I don't think it's all that impressive. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what she's talking about. She said, you know, and she quoted the verse of Scripture that said that the Lord, that God, knows the very number of hairs on your head. She said, I'm not very impressed with that right now. Now, you stop and think what she's saying. The medicine has, again, taken all of her hair. And she said, that's not that impressive because I can do that myself right now. And she made several other statements, but she said, I want you to join me in praying, and I'm praying three ways. She said, number one, I'm praying that God would heal me completely. And her subnote with that was, I realize that may not be what he desires to do, but I'm praying for that. Number two, if that's not his will, I'm praying that God would allow the medication to hold this cancer at bay so that it doesn't advance. And she said, I know God may or may not choose to do that. And my third prayer request is this, that God would help me and my family 
and my friends who are following the things that are happening to me. That God will allow us to learn everything He wants us to learn about what I'm going through. You know, when I read what she had written, and I read other things that she has blogged out and posted, and then I thought of this verse, we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That doesn't say a healthy body or a sick body. It says in your body. Whatever body God has given you. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You know, I I tried to put myself in her place. I tried to put myself in her place. How in your spirit? Everything that she writes. And I, I wrote back to her. I said, You know, you're teaching us, you're helping us to see somebody, and I I put this verse in my little note to her as well, but to see you glorify God in your spirit. Her spirit is saying, I'm leaning totally upon the Lord. This is a planned journey. It's purposeful. What is the purpose? To give us eternal life and then to glorify God. Did you realize that's what our purpose is supposed to be? Our purpose that God has for us is to be saved. And the second purpose after that that He desires for us is that everything we do in our body and in our spirit that we glorify God. So question before we move to number two is this. Are we glorifying God? Are we fulfilling? God has fulfilled His purpose. Are we fulfilling God's purpose for us by These two things of glorifying God in our body and in our spirit. Now notice this, which are God's? That's a very heavy statement as well. They are God's. Our spirit is God's. Our body is God's. They are His. They belong to Him to do what He so desires to do. Now notice number two, if you would please. It's a painful journey. The journey to the cross took Jesus through the Garden of Gethsemane. It took him to Golgotha's Hill, and there he experienced what we call unbelievable pain. We see here, first of all, A, the personal betrayal. In verse, uh, John chapter 18 and verse number 1, just a few uh, verses ahead, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered, and his disciples. Now I want you to understand that God uses people in the Bible to illustrate different aspects of the journey of faith. Some people that he used are a positive illustration. Some people are a negative illustration. We look in this passage of Scripture really at two men in the story that provide for us characteristics that we're to avoid. First of all, the first character, Jesus experienced personal betrayal from a man by the name of Judas. If you read what Judas did, look at chapter 18 and verse 5, and Jesus answered him, Jesus, uh, they, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, notice this, stood with them. Judas arrived with a band of Roman soldiers. And I want you to notice the betrayal mark. And have we really ever put much thought into what the betrayal mark was? 
He arrives there where Jesus is, and he arrives with the band of Roman soldiers. He's not standing with the disciples. He is standing with the Roman soldiers. Matthew chapter 26, verse 48 records it this way. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. How you're going to know, Judas is saying, how you're going to know is the one that I kiss is Jesus. The most intimate sign of love and affection that a person can use is what Judas chose to use. Now, Judas had labored side by side with the Lord Jesus. He talked to people. He walked with people. He acted like a Christian. He fit into the mold of the disciples. All of this to show us that you can talk as much as you want to. And you can walk as clean as you so desire. Jude talks about this in his writing. He says, there are certain men crept in unaware. And he goes on to describe those men. Judas, grasp this with me. Judas looked the part. He acted the part. But he was literally never a part. Judas. But I want you to notice the second man. Another of the disciples. Peter was there that night. Now you remember... I paraphrase a little bit how Jesus said it as he was speaking to the disciples. And he said this night, you'll all be offended. And Peter stood with indignation and said, oh, not me. What's Peter saying? I'm better than that. Don't throw me in with everybody else. Though all be offended, not me. Now, when we think of this, I want us to read in Matthew 26, beginning again in verse 33 and 34. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto thee, This night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. The Bible records the denial of Peter, who also and did the same thing that Judas did. John chapter 18, and verse number 17 and 18. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. Now look at verse 18. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, notice this next phrase, and Peter stood with them. We just read Judas stood with the Roman soldiers. Peter stands with those who are fighting against Christ, and there he warms himself. Three times he refused to be identified with Christ. Let me make this statement. I think it's uh, intriguing, and hopefully we can remember it. Peter's fear was greater than his faith. Peter's fear was greater than his faith. Christians today, we have to be careful of where we stand. Both Peter and Judas stood with the world. And I have said this, and I try not to make it a, 
a soapbox of things, but it needs to be true. We have to be careful of where we stand. And we think bad of Judas because his betrayal of Christ. But then we read of Peter. And as we had in a message a few weeks ago, I'm glad this morning that failure is not final. And though Peter stood with the wrong crowd for a while, he could be, he could be repentant and he could be used. Notice B, if you would please, the physical beating. There's an angry mob that has taken Jesus to Pilate. Who was Pilate? Pilate was Caesar's representative in Judah. Now, Pilate had to do a couple of different things. Pilate was responsible to Caesar. But yet, Pilate also is trying to keep the peace in a nation that is somewhat divided. Because he's got to keep peace with the Roman Empire, and he's got to keep peace with the Jews. And the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate is going to try him. And then Pilate is going to allow Christ to be scourged, beaten. We'll not go into what all that encompasses. I think we know that. But it's far more than our imaginations can grasp this morning. But Pilate releases Jesus to be scourged by the Roman soldiers through the complaint of the Jewish people. How could you watch? And it doesn't matter who you are. I think if you're watching something so, for lack of a better word, grotesque, as the Scripture describes the scourging of Jesus, how can you not have compassion on the one who is being beaten? How can you not give some relief to that one? John chapter 19, we're page up. John chapter 19, verse number 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus. All right, he's accepting responsibility and scourged him. Now notice the visible thing here. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. That's visible. And said, verse number 3, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him and laid their hands on him. This is beyond just visible. This is now verbal. Verse number 4, Pilate therefore went forth again. Now this word again is there for a purpose. Pilate went forth therefore again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Now wait a minute. And truthfully, if we follow through with Scripture, Pilate stood before the Jews three times. And the New Testament records Four times when Pilate from his own mind, heart, and mouth, four times that Pilate said this, I find no fault in it. I don't, I don't see what you're talking about. But remember, he's trying to appease both the Roman government and the Jewish citizenry. And so he takes responsibility in verse number one. He took, therefore, Jesus and scourged it. Now, verse 38 of chapter 18 says, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto him, 
I find in him no fault at all. So what Pilate has taken responsibility to do, he's saying, I am going to scourge a man who I find innocent. There's the physical beating. Let's look together now at number three, the powerful journey. There's a planned journey, a painful journey, and now a powerful journey. Four times Pilate has declared that Jesus is innocent. Now, notice, look if you would at John chapter 19. And let's read and, and, and to try to get our brain around what, what they're saying. And he bearing his cross went forth into the place called the place of the skull. Let me, let me pause for just a moment to say this. I still, after all of these years, I cannot find in Scripture that Jesus fell beneath the load of the cross. I cannot find that. I noticed in this Scripture as we began, and He bearing His cross. The whole crucifixion was the purpose of Jesus bearing the sin of man. My personal belief is this. He did not fall beneath the load of the cross. Because if he fell beneath the load of the cross, he was incapable of carrying. He carried the load. What it is that brought them about recruiting a man? Maybe it's that they want Jesus to walk in chains for a little while. Maybe it's a process that adds to the humiliation. I don't know. But this verse is, and he bearing his cross. And he said, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side of him, Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now notice Pilate had that written. Verse number 20 tells us basically that he had it written in three languages. The title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Why? He wanted everybody to understand this. He wanted everybody to know what it said. So remember now, he's trying to balance between the Roman government, the Roman, uh, the Roman capital, and the, the Jews. Now notice, if you would, in verse 21. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. You know, this makes me wonder. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just my wondering mind, but it makes me wonder. When Pilate wrote out king of the Jews, what did he mean? Do you remember what the Roman soldier said at the foot of the cross? Truly, this is the Son of God. And Pilate has printed Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. I wonder what he believed. I can't answer the question. It's a, it's a wonder. Look at A, if you would, the power of love. Jesus bore his own cross on his own journey because of his great love. John 19, 17, and he bearing the cross went forth. Jesus' life was not taken from him. There's no reason to be mad at Roman soldiers who crucified him. They were doing their job. There's no, no reason for us to be angry 
at the Jews of the day, day who rejected him. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through verse 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet pray adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John in fifteen thirteen says, Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I don't know if you have ever been around any of these. I know that when the uh, state prison used to be here in Richmond, uh, there were several occasions in which there were executions. And I have driven before over to that area just to observe what happens. And I don't mean in the, in the death chamber, but what happens. Executions draw tremendous numbers of people. And they do not all agree. And you'll have one group of people with uh, candles and lamenting an impending death. And there are others who are there holding posters and cheering and screaming and cursing and all sorts of vile things. That's the picture of what's happening here. It is said that there's very few people who are taken to the place of their execution that don't in some way resist. Their resistance could simply be falling to their knees and they have to be carried. They say that numbers of people who are heading to execution fight against those who are taking them. I don't know what the two thieves did, but I know this. The Bible tells us in word for sure that Jesus laid down his life. It was not taken from him. It was a gift. He didn't fight against what was going on. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us as an offering. Now, it's, if it has to be forced, it's not an offering. It's a free will offering that we're looking at here. He free and willingly gave himself. Look at B, if you would, please. This powerful journey is the power of humility. He was crucified. There were two others there, two other with him on either side of him, and Jesus was in the midst. Now, there has been vocal, there has been verbal, there have been visible, but I want you to notice this. Now, in front of all these people who have gathered, some agreeing to the deaths and some disagreeing to the deaths, but here Jesus, the holy and righteous Son of God, is hanging on a cross between two thieves. The crucifixion of Christ bears record of powerful humility. There's a song, I don't know when it was written or who wrote it, but it says he could have called 10,000 angels. Do you realize this? He could have. But he didn't. And in humility, in embarrassment, the Bible says, and I know that we don't even probably like to think in this way, but Jesus hung naked before a tremendous number of people, fully exposed. How utterly humiliating. 
Isaiah says it this way in chapter 53, that he was numbered among transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for transgression. There's a story told of an old preacher who had a dream, and he was dreaming of the actual crucifixion of Christ. And his recounting of his dream, he said, I, I got angry. I was so angry at what this, he said, it was so real to me. You ever have one of those dreams that is so real and so lifelike? I had one a week ago, and it just startled me all the way awake, and I couldn't, I could hardly breathe. That's the kind of dream this man's having. He said, I dreamed I was at the crucifixion of Christ. And he said, I ran up to one of the soldiers who was slapping Christ in the face. And he said, in my dream, I grabbed him by the arm and I spun him around. And when I looked into his eyes, it was my own face. It said that R.G. Lee was visiting in Israel and they came to the foot of what they call the place of Golgotha. And at the time, they were not allowing people to ascend to the mountain. But somehow he, R.G. Lee, convinced them to let him go to the top. And that place, very close to where they think that Christ's crucifixion was. And one of the tour guides asked him, of course, this is his job is to be a tour guide, and that was it. Didn't know who Lee was or his occupation or anything about him. And so after he was convinced to allow him to go up there, Lee came back down, was talking with people about what it felt like, and he asked him, the tour guide asked him this, have you ever been here before? And Lee was an old man at the time, and he told the tour guide, yes, I've been here before. And the tour guide now is sort of, you know, flustered because, okay, this man's been here before, and I just let him go up there, and I'm really not supposed to let him go up. He said, you've been here before? And he said, yes, I was here. And Lee took it as an opportunity to witness to him. He said, I was here before I was born. And the guy really stared him down, and he said, 2,000 years ago, I was here on this hill. When Jesus died for me, he carried my sins even before I was born. I want you to review back this week through this lesson. Of all the journeys that we've studied, and where all the journeys have taken us now for 11 weeks and now today, the greatest journey ever made by an individual was the journey of Jesus Christ from heaven to the cross. Because it had purpose. It had purpose. One, for eternal life. And two, to glorify the Father. And so even in a Sunday school class as this, we have to ask ourselves the question, have we allowed the purpose of Christ's journey to fulfill us? One, are we truly born again? There may be somebody even in this Sunday school class, you may come every week, but you've not truly been born again. That needs to be taken care of. 
But the second purpose is to glorify God. Am I truly glorifying God in my body and in my spirit? Which are God's. Why? Because God purchased us, not with silver and gold and tradition, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed on his journey, the journey to do for us God's intent. Let's stand together, be dismissed in prayer this morning. Ask Brother Kevin Hibbert, if you would, please, you would dismiss us.